Hey, listeners, Nadege August here. I have a quick request before we dive into this following conversation. See, a study recently revealed that male podcasters do their ask at the top of their show, while women, the female podcasters, wait until the end and almost apologize for asking for support. Well, I am ripping a page from the boys' club and am taking notes. I now am going to do my ask at the top of the show. And the ask is simple. Hit that subscribe button right now. Give me a rating, a five-star rating preferably, and share. Share the podcast on social media. Tell your friends about it. You can email, message. There are so many easy ways through iTunes or any other form of platform that you use to listen to the podcast. I am an independently produced podcast. I am a one-person show, except I pay an editor because I'm just not technical uh, to add music and to clean up any background noises that may prove to be distracting. I am also leaning towards becoming a listener-supported podcast. And as such, there is a link that will allow you to Support me, support the podcast financially, monetarily, for as little as 99 cents a month. I also would love to hear from you. Please email me at whatthefockery at gmail.com. Want to hear your insights, thoughts, comments, any ideas you may have about topics you'd like me to explore, anyone you'd like to me to have on, or if you'd like to come on, let me know. With every contribution, I will give you a shout out on air at the beginning of whatever episode you happen to contribute for in and read your name, always with your permission, of course. And now on with the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So one of my favorite Stephen Hawking quotes, it goes as follows. Look up at the stars and not down at your feet. Try to make sense of what you see and wonder about what makes the universe exist. Be curious. So is our future predetermined or do we have free will? Do stars, moons, and planets have to align and interact with each other in a way that affects our lives when we want things, would like things, would want to know? What the fuckery is Vedic astrology?
Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadej August, your host. If this is your first time, welcome. And here's what you can expect. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, and inspire you, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is Tulsi Bagnoli. Tulsi holds an MA in Vedic Science. Did I say that correctly? Uh Uh-huh. I got the thumbs up. Tulsi, speak to me. What is this Vedic astrology thing that you do? (laughs) What an introduction. And before I begin to speak on Vedic astrology, I'd love to offer a couple short mantras into this space. Om Gangana Pataya Namaha. Om Aim Saraswati Namaha. Do I have to repeat? Okay. No, I honor. I honor that you do that. And, you know, I honor the space that you have welcomed me in. Mm. And I look forward to learning so much from you, as will my audience. So, do you want to jump right in and tell us, give us a definition? And then we can talk about the differences between Western astrology that most people recognize as their horoscope and this is who they are and versus Vedic astrology, which I understand comes from Hinduism, I think. Did I? Well, that's a, a interesting thing that you said, because just the other day I was reading how quite often it's thought of as the Hindu based astrological system, where in, in fact, it's it predates Hinduism. And many religions, most people in India actually use this system of astrology. So it's based on an ancient system. It's actually a sister science to yoga and Ayurveda. Ah, perfect. So it's a complete science utilizing these three systems. And in this ancient Vedas, they say that Vedic astrology, also known as Jyotish, is the eyes of the Veda. Jyoti means light, and Ish is that embodiment of the light, the embodiment of the all-knowing aspect, and is truly utilizing the stars as a treasure map, guiding us back to ourselves. Hmm. Interesting. It's like a science of light. Definitely. Yeah. So how do you, you appear Western, completely Western. In fact, you've got this Italian last name, but I'm guessing you're Italian American. (laughs) How do you end up getting a master's and going beyond a bachelor's, but in Vedic astrology that is very specific? What was your journey like? (sighs) Well, I can truly say that this journey chose me in a sense. I was born into a family of meditation teachers. My father was a Vedic astrologer, is a Vedic astrologer. And so one of my first memories was him actually making charts by hand. 
and just feeling so intrigued and drawn to this science and always hearing of the mythologies and looking up at the stars and hearing the stories of the constellations and just being drawn and so intrigued and pulled in by this knowledge. And like most children born into a system of purity and tools of self-discovery, I had to rebel and uh, journey my own path, you know, travel the path for myself just to come full circle. So when I was a teenager, I traveled back to the area where I was born in the Midwest and and reluctantly decided to begin just a little bit of studies. I wasn't committing to a BA and the more I received the knowledge, the more thirsty I became. And I was led to become a yoga teacher and then a meditation teacher and then led to be, get my master's degree and, and then only recently took the position of being publicly a Vedic astrologer. When you say you've had to go back to where you came from, had you strayed from your path for a while? Did you completely rebel against what your father did and family taught you? Did you go into the darkness in order to find the light again? I think it was always a combination of both. I think I needed to just discover the material world and everything it had to offer. I didn't rebel as much as one could have. I, I moved to Hawaii and and became a popular kid and you know would go to parties and surf big waves. And truly, I only recall for a couple weeks into moving to Hawaii, feeling as if I had everything in the relative, but remember feeling sad inside and calling my mother and saying, you know, I have everything, but why does life in paradise kind of suck? And I remember my mother saying, and still to this day, I, I remember the moment like it was yesterday. And she said, well, when was the last time you meditated? And I honestly dropped the phone and was laughing as if if someone said I'm so thirsty and you said have you tried water (laughs) (laughs) great analogy and so since that day I think only two weeks in my whole life since I was four did I forget that I actually was a meditator (laughs) wow Um, however I love rock and roll I love culture I love traveling so there's always been a mixture so I've never fully rebelled against it as much as been like what does suffering feel like you know Mm. unconsciously what does it feel like to fall from from grace of divinity to get enveloped by the material world. So do you consider having your love for, or former love, I'm not sure where you are, of rock and roll of that life, the material world, is that in direct conflict with the work that you do? Can you be both, have both, enjoy both? Of course, definitely. And I think at the age of 34, I find myself so eloquently having forged this path of grace that if one thing is God, if one thing is divinity, then all things are. It depends on your relationship and participation with that. And so if something's bringing me joy, if it's keeping me on my path, whatever that looks like, you can't push away one thing and reach towards another, right? It's, I've been learning almost in a sense to find that middle path of what, what's contributing, what's taking me higher. And sometimes it's chanting Sanskrit and studying Vedic astrology. And sometimes it's swimming in the ocean or going dancing. 
going back to uh, the astrology, what are the what is the main difference between Western astrology? Like when I open my Yahoo homepage, I could see uh, what my day will look like, the horoscope, versus what you do. That's a beautiful question. So I'm not an expert in Vedic or in uh, the Western astrology. So forgive me, anyone out there who's an expert, if I say anything that's not in alignment with your system. My listeners will let us know. Yeah. They leave. They <laughs> do leave me voice messages. So I, yeah, I will be gentle. We yeah. understand it's not your area of expertise, but you definitely know the difference. Yes, I respect and honor the Western system, even being a, a daughter of Ved a Vedic astrologer. I re remember, you know, loving that I was an Aquarius sun in the, the Western system. So the Western system is based off of the tropical zodiac. Uh, whereas when it became established to get on this page of the vernal equinox, March 21st being zero degrees Aries at that moment, the observational fixed position of the constellations happened to also fall at zero degrees Aries. But due to the procession of the equinoxes, this isn't eternally true. And so we found that the vernal equinox and the fixed position of the stars has grown. We call this the Ayanamsha. Every 72 years, one degree, there's a beacon. Every 72 years, there's a one degree difference in the systems. So currently, we find ourselves at about a 23 degree difference between the tropical zodiac based on the seasons and the, and the sidereal astrology, which is based off of the fixed observational astrology. So are there planets, you know, how you have sun signs and moon signs in the Western astrology, which I'm somewhat more familiar with, versus uh, the system, your, the Vedic system? Yes, another great question. So in the Vedic system, we focus mostly on the rising sign, the moon sign, that which is really driving us to be drawn towards something or advert something else, you know, something the, the thing that makes us very emotional over things. We use that for compatibility, for profession, for that deeper understanding of, of who someone is below the surface. And the sun is actually that third tier in a sense. You know, we use all three of them to really unfold one's personality. All three what? The moon? The, the rising sign, the moon, and the sun sign. Oh, there are differences. Okay. There's differences. Yeah. So sometimes you might have all three, right? If you're born in the morning time at a specific time of month, you you might have the, the rising sign with the sun and the moon, you know, born on a new moon. You can have all those be the same. Uh, and... Basically, if you're familiar with your chart in Western astrology, if any of these planets, right, specifically the sun, if you're at the end of a sign above 23 degrees, then in Vedic astrology would actually be the same. However, if it's below the 23 degrees, depending on when you were born, especially if you were born in the 70s and 60s when that Ayanam show would have been a little less than 23 degrees, you would find that um, it would go back. 
So I'm an Aquarius sun in Western. However, I'm a Capricorn sun in the Vedic system. Mm. And some people might cringe, especially those, and I can say this because I'm Capricorn sun. <laughs> but oh no, you know, I don't want to be Scorpio or Capricorn, you know, those signs that might have a bad rap. However, you, you, you don't change. You're not someone different. And there's different meanings behind them. We do use the same planets, the north and south node we call Rahu and Ketu. They have very similar meanings. However, it's just perceived and, un and is unfolded in just a different way. Mm, okay. And so I find validity with both. However, one is just very ancient, right? And if you do look in the scriptures, you might say, wow, it looks like I, I could be afforded many cattle and lots of land, right? So some of it's up for interpretation. It really depends on the, the astrologer, the translator, that, that which is seeing the system. And so it's something you need to be very careful with, the filter of that, which, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, wow, oh my gosh, I'm this sun sign after all, and then go look online. And just you want to be careful, listeners, it can become very generic, and it also can seem very detrimental. And so it's nice to find someone who's an expert who can help you translate and because it's a way. very specific to your place and oh, date of birth and time, specific. right? So there are 12 zodiac signs in the Western astrology. Do you guys also have 12 or more or so less? happy you brought that up. So yes, there is the 12 zodiac. However, in this system, I focus and many astrologers focus on the nakshatras. The nakshatras is a 27 system of the lunar mansions where the, the moon travels about one nakshatra a day, which is about two and a half nakshatras per sign. So the zodiac is about 30 degrees where the nakshatras are 13 degrees, 20 minutes, which makes it very specific because we're not just looking at Libra, right? We're looking at a portion of Libra, which we find that everyone with a Libra moon may not think and act the same way. And so it really gets, it narrows it down. And so I sometimes, I definitely always look at the Zodiac, but the nakshatras have that deeper meaning. What can one find out about themselves through the use of a uh, Vedic reading, astrology reading? What can't one find out about? <laughs> really? You can find everything out, such as when you're married, when you'll die, when you'll live, when you'll... Really? So, wow. I love that you said when you'll die, because it's interesting. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll have someone come, and it's usually in a state of desperation, tell me when I'm going to die, right? Mm. And so all that we can say is that like we're moving away from our birth, death is traveling towards us. Whoa, and say that again. That's incredible. <laughs> we move away from our birth. We're moving away from birth. And but death just is like that, death is traveling towards, towards us. us. And when we wow. cross paths with death, then death takes us. And there's certain things, right? If you know something, then you might reach towards it and move towards it in a different way. And so, yes, it's possible to know these things. Myself, I'm sure I could learn and dive into when someone is going to pass, but there's certain things as an astrologer that I have a responsibility to share in such a way it's contributing to their life. I want the knowledge that I share to be useful, and I never have found a use to share certain things such as that. Mm. 
However, marriage and when it's become ripe to go and study and when have children to have children, when it's a good time to be a little more cautious, right? A little more cautious of what you're eating or when you're driving, you know, and so there's mile markers. So just to be super practical, because I'm I'm very much from the idiot school guide sort of thinking where I feel like we need to break things down very, very simply and basically. How can we take examples without you obviously uh, giving away who it is? Can you use an example, a practical example of a most recent client you may have done a reading for? Were they looking for a specific answers? Did they have question? Or can you just have a reading just to have a reading and know what your life's purpose is or should be? I love your questions. Every client is different. It's so fascinating. You'd think that everyone would almost be the same, right? When you go to the doctor, you know, it's like, oh, I have this cough and, you know, sometimes people come and they want to be entertained. Other times people come and they're desperately trying to figure out one or two or 20 things. Are my children going to be okay in my divorce? Am I going to get the house? Wow. And astrology can give those answers. It can, depending on who is the seer, right? Depending on what wants to be seen, sometimes I am unable to see something and it's because it does not want to be revealed at that time. So I prepare, I have wisdom, I have knowledge, and then I surrender that all at the feet of the moment. This is a living knowledge. It's not stagnant. I don't type it up and then read from that. I prepare as much as I feel is proper and then I come and I'm completely open. And usually I leave questions for the end because usually I can almost tell there's a way of actually telling. 90% of the time I know, oh, they want to know about relationships or they want to know about work. Quite often, most people do have a, a specific reason. Other times they will come and it's, oh, it's my birthday. Tell me about the year, oh, right? Okay. And for me, what I love to do is just really unfold what is ripe at this moment, what wants to be grown and in such a way that it's tended to where the individual meets with more ease and grace in that dance. Right. How often would someone come and get a reading? Is it a chart that gets done that you prepare for this person? And if they are a repeat customer, so to speak, client, then can you get specific in certain areas? Definitely. Yeah. So usually... Clients will will come and I'll give them a reading that maybe about the life, maybe kind of just really what's ripe in that moment. It can go from anywhere to, oh, in a few years, this could happen. You know, we'll get into work or, you know, it's very alive and living. And when I have follow-up clients, usually it's quite specific. I'm going through this big transition and we just focus on that. And usually that comes up whenever someone's actually going through a transition or my most common follow-up client is at their birthday. Tell me about my next year. That makes sense. Yeah. It's not a bad time to find oh, out what to do. That's when I like to go. And- do you ever get feedback at the end of the year when they come for a second year? They're like, oh my gosh, this year where, you know, this that happens? I usually get text messages while it's happening. Oh my, oh, what? I can't believe that you said that. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Wow, fascinating. Those are always fun. So you do other things. You are also a wellness and lifestyle consultant, a teacher of yoga and meditation. How do all of these different things inform your work as an astrologer? Do you find that you've got even more empathy and compassion as a result? Or do you approach the person holistically as opposed to this is what the chart says, this is what the moon's doing, this is what this planet's doing? Everything for me is always very holistic. I don't ever have any direct intention of, oh, this person should be recommended yoga or meditation or breath work. It's it's always kind of this download, you know, quite often, like the reading I did yesterday, we got into Ayurveda. You, know, you have a lot of pizza going on. I need you to stay really hydrated. I need you to dip in the How ocean. How did you find that out? <laughs> I found that out through uh, calculating the, the heat. There was a lot of heat in the planets. Oh, my goodness. So I'm the looking, person's planets. The person's planets. So when I'm looking at the chart, I'm intricately looking at every angle of their life. And then unfolding the story, however it wants to be unfolded. And I'm also available to omens quite often, especially if I'm in a public place, it's a little more pronounced. I usually see, and and omens is a word that can often be misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying here is that nature is always speaking to us. Well, we have a crow out out there. And And, what is it telling us? And I have to acknowledge the crow because the crow is shunny. The crow is Saturn, and Saturn's the greatest teacher. So that's igno- that's a really acknowledging that this system, right, this system is none other than a way of bringing us back to ourselves in such a way that we can fully become embodied. And Saturn is the greatest teacher because it has to do with time and karma, and we have to exhaust our karmas. You know, it's so interesting because you just said Saturn, and I remember this idea, at least in Western astrology, that we all go through our Saturn return from the ages of 27 through 32, I believe. Is there something similar in your, yes, there is? And what is that about? Because these were very difficult years for me, I remember. I too recently have been relieved of uh, Saturn's grip of my return as much as it was fun <laughs> and evolutionary, right? It, really it depends is. how we look at it, right? It's a beautiful, ripe time for deep growth. And we do have the Saturn return. However, it's not as fixed, you know, the be- the beauty, it's not as fixed. The The really beautiful thing about Western astrology is you can say dates like that, you know, when I'm 27 or 28, and forgive me, I'm not sure when it mm-hmm. is in Western astrology and the seasons, right? If you're born in a certain season, the day, it's always very predictable. In this system, it's whenever Saturn returns in your chart to where it was. So it's personal. And so it's personal. So for me, I was actually a little older you know, I was when was, you got hit with when Saturn came to visit you. <laughs> yes. And so this Saturn return, we find that the years before that were intimately getting to know who we are. This is a lifetime journey of getting to know who we are, but just really intimately getting to know all the facets of who we are and our personality. And this incubation period yeah. of the Saturn return is 
helping us find who we are in community, who we are in tribe, what we're really offering in service. The stuff we're community. made of. Yes. Yeah. So Saturn is a planet of what is it associated with? And I, I know Mars is associated with, I guess, anger. Or am I wrong? Many War, things. rage? Yes. Um, energy, passion. Saturn is energy, passion. Uh, Mars. Mars. Mars is. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so Saturn has to do with, with time and karma or action it has to do with elderly people, um, underprivileged people. It has to do with working very hard and boundaries and and that that heaviness. To be clear, people often say, well, karma is going to get you. Karma will take care of you. People, it seems, they think that karma is only bad. But when, you're, when you do good, you do, you get good karma back too. So it isn't necessarily doomsday karma is going to get you as a threat because I, I don't think that the universe is linear that way, isn't it? It's kind of circular and messy. So define karma the way you would best explain it to someone because some people are just so afraid of that word and use it as a threat for others where it's like, well, if you do some good, you get good karma. Not so good, not so good karma. Well, to go back very far, since I'm the Vedic scholar here, to take it a few steps back, we have multiple different types of karma. And so if we hypothetically believe in reincarnation, we have a mountain of all of our thoughts, speech, and action that's been accumulated. Mm. And we cannot reincarnate with all of that karma, good, bad, whatever that may be all of our thoughts, speech, and action. And so when we're looking at our birth chart, at our Vedic chart, it's really the suitcase of the relevant karmas for this specific journey. Lifetime. That We don't, we, yeah, we can't take our whole closet with us on every trip, right? Maybe some of those minimalists can do that, but I personally can't. It's the karmas that have become ripe to be experienced in this lifetime. And so that's what this birth chart is, is the karmas that have become ripe. And what karma is, is that aspect of that all of our thought, speech, and action of what we call sunshit karma that makes karma unfathomable. Because it's nonlinear, it's not just from this lifetime, if we believe in that. And so every action has an equal and an opposite reaction. And so however we sow, so shall we reap. And we do not know when we're reaping or from, we do not know the actions that we're reaping if they're from this life or another life. And so we can never judge, right? And so in the Bhagavad Gita, the teachings are, yes, we have an intention, but we act without being attached to the fruits because we might do good deeds in this life and reap them in the next. Just because, you know, we, we quite often hear why do bad things happen to good people, right? Mm. Well, it's in the next life that they're reaping those good things. And it's we just don't know mm. what happened before. And we, we may never know. Some of us have glimpses of this past karma. And so Shani, our Saturn, brings up karma to be dealt with in such a way that we need to exhaust it. Like, you know, your dogs, they're going to be jumping around and rowdy unless you give them the walk, 
And so that's Saturn. Saturn's going to bring you that karma. But if you exhaust it, you exhaust it with service, right? Saturn has to do with service. Giving. Specifically selfless service. So if you just serve and give love, then you exhaust Saturn into complete devotion and your life is blessed. And that is how you beat Saturn. Yes, with love. (laughs) They do say the answer to everything is love, but that's a whole other topic, isn't it? Because love can mean so many different things to so many people. But giving generously without taking back, selflessly, is that you're nodding. Are you you definitely? And there's many ways of being of service, right? Um, But yeah, giving selflessly, you know, without expecting anything in return, which is difficult. It's easier said than done. Absolutely. You know, with the sincerity of just being of service. I do believe I've exhausted any question that I might have, but I do want my listeners to have access to you, your services, your expertise, and your energy. I met Tulsi in Topanga Canyon, which is where we are right now. Beautiful. She was teaching this community class that I walked in to. I saw a sign. Time was ripe. I said, why not? And we got to talking. Her energy is just, mm, it's just beautiful and calming and you'd want to be her friend. I would trust her with my birth date. (laughs) The correct spelling of my name. Do you need names for your charts? Does it, names affect what you do, the reading? Names are nice. I'll even tell her where I was born. I'll call the hospital, find out the time, and know that my secrets would be safe with her. Where can where can we reach you? It's okay to laugh. We, I'm just gonna sip on this delicious tea You're you made for me. Thank you. Where can we find you? On Instagram, I'm at Tulsi Bagnoli, and my website is www.tulsibagnoli.com, and you'll find my name on the podcast here. And and the show notes will have all of these links available. Oh, it's such an honor to, to be here with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so very much. And I feel like I may want to have you on again for something else down the pike, <laughs> because this woman is has done something pretty amazing. Can I tell them? Please. Ah, she lives in one of the coolest airstreams I've ever seen. And she's out in the woods. Uh Uh-oh, by herself. Well, they won't know where to find you, right? I'm not, I, I, (laughs) I, getting here was gnarly, but a a beautiful drive. Oh, so beautiful. All I can think is, I bet. Better never try to come here after I've had a cocktail. <laughs> Hence, I don't drink many cocktails. <laughs> yeah, because this could be pretty scary at night. <laughs> Dulcie, thank you for having me. And uh, my listeners, listeners, you are my marketing team. Don't forget. Please subscribe, share, review, and... Um, Leave me a voice memo and let us know how we did. I think Tulsi would really love to hear from you. Bye.